right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Docs Sportscast today. Uh, this is uh, Monday, June 28th. We are recording this on Sunday, June 27th. Uh, it's currently 9:12 p.m. Uh, and the Bucks Hawks are playing Game Three of their series. So um, we will give a little bit of updates throughout. Uh, the game right now, I believe, is a seven-point game. The Hawks jumped out uh, really early on, and uh, it looks like they were really going to take control. But uh, since then, um, the Bucks have uh, clawed their way back with Giannis Antetokounmpo actually going to the bench for some time. Um, if I'm if I'm the Hawks, I'm really concerned right now because it looks like you know they got hot, they shot themselves into a big lead, and then. <laughs> Actually, some really bad shots by Trey Young and some others have really gotten them in a bad situation now, too. So, you know, it's the philosophy. Like, you know, a guy can shoot you into a game. He can shoot you into a big lead. He can also shoot you into a big deficit or shoot you out of a game. So um, just got to worry about that with the Hawks for sure. But with that being said, uh, Aurora and I, Aurora sitting here right beside me watching uh, the game. Um, So uh, sad to say Aurora actually lost her her cousin today um his name was colby and we actually lost him um early this morning so that was a tough morning for sure but aurora was happy to get back to a normal evening of watching nba games and uh she is gonna battle through it here uh sitting by me this evening for the podcast so um anyway we'll jump right into it here uh and and i'll tell you guys aurora is definitely a fan of the bucks um she is um, not that big of a Trey Young fan at this point. Uh, maybe that changes over time. As of right now, she is not. We are big Bucks fans for sure. Um, really love to see them continue to do well. Uh, you know, would like to see the the work that Giannis Antetokounmpo has put into his game continue to progress with jump shots and things like that. But getting into the series, so the series is tied one to one right now. Uh, the Bucks uh, tied the series back up. Um, after losing game one, they tied the series back up on Saturday, which, um, or not Saturday, but Friday. And man, I'll tell you the the first game it came out, it looked like, man, the Hawks are definitely going to put up an interesting fight, but I said it before. I think that this will be a five game series. I thought the Hawks would get at least one game. Um, I think it'll be a gentleman's gentleman sweep, which means, you know, uh, one game is all that the opponent will get. But, you know, that might change. They are playing better than I anticipated, um, but not that much better than I anticipated. Here's the thing with the Hawks, guys. You got to think about this and remember, they go where Trey Young goes. And depending on how you choose to play them, how you choose to guard them, and your game plan really up against them, you're, you're giving them more chances or less chances to win, right? Um, so it's like pick your poison. Or do you... Well, pick your poison in a way. So do you believe Trey Young can beat you by himself? Or do you believe that, you know, his role players will be able to beat you by themselves? And that's really what your focus is. Like, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to shut him down or are we going to shut everyone down except him? All right. Now, in game in in the first game of the series, um, they wanted to have Trey Young beat them by himself. And they said, you know, right, you know what? You know, right? We are going to, um, we're going to want Trey to beat us by himself. He's got he's got to put up 
50 points, whatever, and he's going to have to beat us. Well, here's the the challenge in that philosophy, and this is what the Bucks ran into in Game 1. When Trey Young gets going, Trey Young sees the floor better. He's in a rhythm. Guys on your team and your defense need to feel like they need to step in and help and come off pick and rolls and things like that. So you are in a worse defensive situation later on in the game. So they came in the mentality of, oh, we're going to let him get his. He's going to have to be the one to beat us. No one else is going to do it. That's great. But what you ended up doing because of the way that he plays and the way that your team realistically plays great, solid team defense, they adjusted after he got hot. Well, why did he get hot? Because you gave him those shots. You gave him those opportunities to get hot early in the game. And then... (laughs) Then all of a sudden, you know, when you your guys wanted to step in and help out, all of a sudden everybody else was getting going. Everybody had a rhythm. Everybody was getting easy looks and easy shots off of kickouts, things like that, you know, getting some great passes from him. And that's what you have to be careful with with this Hawks team. There are some guys that you can say, okay, they're going to beat us and you let them you let them do it. But this Milwaukee team has a really solid defense. They really do. They play a great team defense. Because of that, they're going to adjust. You can't just sit and tell these guys after playing all season, hey, playing great team defense, we're going to step in and help, we're going to be there when a man gets beat, to now stop doing that. You you can't do that, guys. It's not going to make an adjustment. So that is the challenge that was faced in game one, right? That is essentially, I believe, why they lost game one. Now, moving on to the game two. Well, Mike Budenholzer has definitely not been the best coach in these uh, this postseason, but he made a great adjustment, which I mean I thought was a pretty easy adjustment to make, but it was it was a great call to make it. He decided, all right, we're going to change the focus, and we are going to focus on anyone else has to beat us. Like our game two focus is. Anyone else is going to beat us, not Trey. We are going to shut him down. We are going to make him give up the ball. We're going to play big ball against him. He's going to be. He's going to have someone in his face all the time. We're going to be physical with him. We're going to have to make him. We're going to make him grow up. Essentially, you know, he's a young player in the league. We're going to make him grow up. And and I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a great move. A uh, great call there. Um, Here's the thing, guys. The first quarters. Look at the first quarters of the first two games. Um, game one, Trey Young shot ten shots in the first quarter. Okay. In game two, that was down by half. He shot five. Okay. That's huge. That's huge because that tells me that you made a guy who is one of the most more confident players in the league. Especially, he's probably the most confident player in the postseason right now tell himself, hey, I, I, I'm not getting good shots. I need to get my teammates involved because, man, they're they're locking me down. He cut his shots down in half in the first quarter. And the first quarter is really what gave the big giant hole for the Hawks in game two. So that's the thing. You changed it up. He was worried about his shots. He didn't take all those shots. And then he didn't get a rhythm going. Well, all of a sudden, that set everything up in motion. Think about this, too. They forced Trey to go left. He took six shots on the right side of the court in game two. He took 16 shots overall. 
only six of them. Okay, that's less than half. All right, that's that's way less than half. Um, he took from the right side of the court. Okay, great. Make him go left. Make him go left. Make it difficult for him. If you let him just sit and control everything on the right side of the court, it's going to be a lot easier for him. Make him go left. That's what they did in game two. So that also helped to shut things down. So give you guys a quick update. It is four-point game. Uh, just under four minutes left to go in the uh, first half. And, man, it just seems more and more like Milwaukee's clawing back a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. You know, uh, Atlanta's going to hit some shots. I mean, that's what they do. They're offensive-minded team. They're going to hit some shots. They're going to go on some runs. But every time they do, Milwaukee's just creeping back into it. And every time you look up, they're a little bit closer to getting that to getting it tied or back to a lead. So we'll see how it keeps going. Um, we'll probably – I don't know when – I think this podcast will probably end probably around halftime, probably the end of halftime, maybe the beginning of third quarter. So we'll have to see when that ends. But – Interesting game for sure. So jumping back into this. So they forced Trey to go left. He only took six shots from the right side of the court in game two. Um, that's that's down from um, game one as well, but he took a plethora more shots in game one anyway. So we can't just say, oh, well, you know, he took this many less shots on the right side. Yeah, but he took that much less shots overall. So that it is a little skewed when you think about it, but he did take quite a few more shots, quite a few less shots. From the right side even early on in the game than what he did in game um game one so essentially what this did and this is this was beautiful and i don't think i don't know if you know i don't know if coach bud decided that this would be the way it would go or if he knew that this would work the way it did but essentially this is what happened when you shut him down when you make him second guess his shots take tough shots not want to take shots when you do that to Trey Young, now everybody else has to create for themselves. This is not a team with a bunch of playmakers. It's really not. Danilo Gallinari, guys, he is not a playmaker anymore. All right. Sure, he may have been able to, to make some shots and stuff when he first came in the league, but he's slower. He plays bigger now, and he doesn't create his own looks. All right. So that that's not going to happen. Bogdanovich is... Uh, or bogey bogey's still hurt you know he's still hurt a little bit you can see it he's not moving as good as he used to so he's not going to go out there and create a ton of shots for himself herder he can create good shots for himself if he's got a good matchup but man he does not have a good matchup like i said these guys are good defensively for milwaukee um you know clint capella clint capella has never been a guy to, to like really focus on getting his own shot so the only other person that has been, you know, hey, this is the guy to get his own shots would be Lou Williams coming off the bench. And if Lou Williams doesn't come in and put up 15 to 20, then you're really just relying on Trey Young being able to make, make his own shots. Or, sorry for the on there, guys, or giving his teammates shots. And I think that's the big thing I would worry about um, if I am... The Hawks. If I if I'm a Hawks fan, I'm concerned that Trey Young is shouldering you as much as he is. Yes, um, there's plenty of guys. You know, uh, L.A. with Paul George right now. You know what the Suns have been with Devin Booker. Like, yeah, I get it. There's guys that are shouldering loads, but they still have playmakers on their team who can get their own shots. Reggie Jackson can do that for L.A. Okay, Middleton. Holiday, they can do that along with Antetokounmpo for Milwaukee. 
All right, and then for the Suns, I mean, you got a plethora of guys. You really got a plethora of guys. I mean, Aiton can post up really well. He can get his own shots in the post. You got Devin Booker. You got Chris Paul. You've got plenty of guys who can get their shots off when they want to. You know, um, Bridges is one of those guys. And um, man, I know I'm for I'm forgetting a couple here, but there's another there's another guy or two there that can get their own shots off too. So. Again, you got to think about that. And uh, that that's the thing that's going to challenge the Hawks uh, the rest of this series. And if they happen to progress, I think I think it would be a huge Achilles heel for them in the finals. Um, it's just going to be really, really tough. Really, really tough on them. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to see how it goes. But, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a tough series the rest of the way. Um, but again, I, I, I do think Milwaukee's going to end up edging it out. So, um, anyway, sorry to, to get off there, but essentially they changed it up, eliminated role players from Atlanta, being able to get something going. And if you do that, that's the recipe for success against Atlanta. You just, you let Trey Young do what he needs to do because nobody else is on that team is going to sit there and go off. If you look at the other series against the Knicks, Trey Young went bonkers, okay? In the games they won, he went bonkers. If you look against Philadelphia, Philadelphia lost that series just as much as Atlanta won it. I mean, Philadelphia made bad decision after bad decision. And yeah, it just it sucked for Philadelphia because they they beat themselves just as much as Atlanta beat them. Now, not taking away anything from Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta still had to play well, and Trey Young still had to put up a lot of points. But, you know, Trey Young got going, he got cooking, and when that happens, everybody else gets more open shots, they get more open looks, they get more confidence, they get a rhythm going. That's why Herter was able to go off in Game 7 in that series. So, you know, that's the thing you got to pay attention to. Um, you know, he just, hit a, he just hit a big three just now at around the three-minute mark to, left to go in the second quarter. And, and that's the thing. He hit that three. But, guys, he's taken so many of those shots from that deep, and they haven't went in. So if I'm him, if I'm his coach, I'm telling him, dude, stop this because you're hurting us more than helping us. If you're going out there and you're chucking those up and you're missing, you know, you're missing three-fourths of those shots, it's not going to help us as much if we can get good looks because he will jack up shots. He will take a ton of shots, okay? This is similar to when you saw Allen Iverson play when he came in the league. Yeah, Allen can, he can play and he can do pretty well, but you play him physical, you get a guy up in his space, and you make him have to beat you, and you don't let other people get going, they're not going to go anywhere. And so that's going to be the challenge for the Hawks is in this series is can somebody else step up if teams are willing to commit to letting Trey get his, and that's it. Okay, that's going to be the question. So moving on, we'll, we'll do another update here before we get off the podcast. Um, but, you know, we've been 15 minutes on, on this series, so we'll jump into the next series real quick. Um, this is the Suns Clippers, guys. So the Suns Clippers, um, again, I, you know, Aurora and I definitely have a favorite in that, and that's the Suns. You know, we, we picked the Suns um, a little while back to win the, the championship. So uh, we think the Suns will still win the title. Uh, I think they still have a really good shot, if not better, nowadays with the teams that are left i think i think they match up pretty well with almost everybody um you know milwaukee would probably give them the best run as far as a matchup goes uh but here's the thing i will commemorate 
you know, and give credit to the Clippers. They are playing their hearts out. They really are. They're playing great team basketball. They're doing everything they can. Guys are stepping up, playing some of the best ball of some of their careers out there. You know, Patrick Beverly is being a hawk on defense and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it's it's crazy. But the Suns get back in rhythm. Okay, that's what happened. Um, so in game three, they lost their rhythm. Um, you, if you think about it, here's what happens. Booker breaks his nose in game two. They were able to win that game because they had a decent amount of time that he wasn't injured. Um, so they were able to, you know, get something going consistently in that game. Then what happens, and this, guys, this happened with the Sixers. It happens with a lot of teams. You have to make adjustments. And you're going to, it's going to be clunky. It's going to be clunky when you make adjustments. That, you know, 100% makes sense. But Booker comes back and actually it was in game one. In game one, he got injured with the nose. Um I believe and no 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 it was game two so game two he gets hurt and then they have to adjust in game three so he's adjusting to the mask does not adjust well as we saw game four he just ripped that thing off so game three he's not adjusting well to the mask he has to wear for his broken nose um, it definitely affected his shot you know got his rhythm off and then you know Chris Paul was coming back after being out for you know a, a week or two there uh, with COVID protocols. So that definitely made an impact too. So those things you have to take into account because those are adjustments that the team has to make. You know, they can't just say, all right, let's just keep doing what we were doing. Like, no, you have to make adjustments because certain guys are not playing that well, or certain guys are back in the lineup and things like that, you know? Um, and then Cam uh, Peyton, uh, not Peyton, um, Cameron Payne, you know, he, he was injured there for a little bit as well. And that, I mean, all those are factors. So you think about it, they definitely had a reason to drop game three. Uh, it definitely made sense that they would drop that game out of any of them because that's the one they're making the biggest adjustments. Those two reasons had the Suns playing inefficient basketball. If you go back, watch that game, they were not efficient in how they played. Uh, they're typically a team that really tries to get the most out of all their possessions, get everybody involved, spread the ball around, you know, have great offense as it goes. Um, and then defensively, they play pretty pretty solid defense as well. And that just was really clunky in game three, especially coming down the wire toward the end of it. So that was, I, I believe, the reason that they were so inefficient in game three was because of those adjustments they had to make with the lineups and whatnot, guys being out. But Paul and Booker adjusted in game four. They, they were able to get that game under their belt. You know, Booker took off the mask. Um, and Chris Paul, Chris Paul was, <laughs> Chris Paul was looking great. Okay. He looked really good again, right back to where he needed to be after getting that one game of rust off of him real quick. He's, he was back to being all good to go. So really happy about that. Um, everybody loves to see a nice, healthy Chris Paul. I mean, one of the best, um, players out there to watch. So really excited to see what he's doing at his age. Um, and then here's the thing. Um, so they're back in game four. Now it's a three to one lead. And it looks like the Suns could end up closing this out at home, um, finishing it in five games, which, uh, you know, I think that's one game less than what we anticipated here on the podcast. Um, I think we anticipated it going for six, but if it goes for five, I mean, we're not going to be surprised by that in any way. I mean, we, we thought that Suns would win the championship. So, of course, we think they would be able to handle the Clippers pretty well, especially without Kawhi Leonard. So that's something that we'll have to see how it goes. Um, but here's something I do want to talk about, guys. 
Um, there's two more topics I really want to make sure we cover. And, you know, we'll, then we'll give some updates again on what's going on with the Milwaukee game. But Patrick Beverly, okay, people have not talked about it. But back in the day, people would talk about Bruce Bowen. People would talk about Ron Artest. People would talk about these guys who, you know, hung their heads on the defensive end of the court. And they would talk about them as dirty players, okay? Here's the thing, guys. We haven't heard the term a dirty player in probably about five years now. We haven't heard anyone say, oh, this guy's a dirty player. We have not heard that, okay? When we used to hear that quite a bit, you know, there's at least one person in the league that was being called a dirty player or, you know, people at least were talking of him that way um, in some capacity before. Right now, that's not the case. Here's the reason. During the regular season, no one plays defense, so no one gives a crap. That's why a guy like Patrick Beverly doesn't do anything throughout the regular season. Then he gets in there, and now he's playing defense, right? But Patrick Beverly, man, I lo I lost so much respect for him. Like, seriously. And Aurora is fed up with him. She's fed up with him. She doesn't want to watch him. She thinks he's so annoying. Like, she doesn't understand how his teammates can play on the same team as him. Like, it's just awful. Why would you want to play on a, a, you know, a team with a guy like that who plays that way? So, the reason that we're saying that, the reason that we feel that way, Aurora and I, is that this guy is very much a dirty player. And it's not so much from what he does between the whistles. It's what he does after the whistle, okay? Patrick Beverly is very much an instigator. He's very much like... In your head, and he's he's that kid in school that would always act stupid and act out and do all this crap, but never get in trouble because the teachers never saw him do it, right? He would do everything so subtly, and then all of a sudden you would do something and you would get in trouble, but he was the one who started it all, and he was the one who did it, you know? That's what Patrick Beverly is. And they talked about it. You know, Jeff Van Gundy talked about it, how, you know, uh, guys, it's always the second guy that starts these fights or whatever on the court always a second guy that gets in trouble well look guys i'm here to tell you that it's not always the second guy that gets in trouble it's really not the the challenge is that with him <laughs> uh man I, i'm so frustrated with him guys i can't, can't tell you how frustrated i am with patrick beverly like if i was a player in the nba i would not want him on my team i would not be able to play with him because I would have no respect for him. Absolutely zero respect for him. He goes out there and all he does is talk. All he does is get in the ref's face and he complains and he whines and cries and he sits there and talks crap and he gets between guys who are trying to have conversations with the referees and cuts them off and stuff. Like it's rude. It's really rude. It, it's not proper etiquette when playing basketball. And yeah, I know it's not a gentleman's sport like tennis, but there's still etiquacies to the game and he is lacking it. All right now I get being a defensive stopper like I was a big Kevin Garnett fan I loved watching Kevin Garnett I don't mind guys trash talking I don't mind guys trying to get in other people's heads but when you are instigating things and the referees continue to overlook it but you're continuously doing it something needs to happen okay something needs to happen when a whistle's blown and a guy is continuously after a whistle is blown always bumping into another player always nudging him always elbowing him a little bit to the side 
always doing that. At some point, a guy's going to get fed up with it and retaliate because that guy is creating contact and annoyance and disturbance physically to him outside of the whistles, outside of the game being played. He's continuously causing this and, and realistically, guys, that needs to be stopped. That needs to be stopped. That's not the game. That's not basketball. We don't want to see something that's not basketball. That look, that's why they're changing the rule about guys, you know, trying to get fouls with an unorthodox shooting style because that's not the game. That's not basketball. No one wants to see that. Well, neither do people want to see this either. All right? It's not okay when guys get technicals because of a guy that continuously pesters them and hits them and shoves them and bumps into them after every single call, after every single play. It's not okay. You can harass the players all you want when the game is going on. When when the clock is running and you're playing defense against somebody, you can defensively harass them all you want. That is a part of being a great defender. Okay? Absolutely understand it. But when that whistle is blown, you need to back off. And so, honestly, if I'm the referee, like, and, and Jeff Van Gundy, I think, said this. Um, you know, he talked about people, you know, remotely watching the game from above, being able to call down and say, hey, no, this guy is the one who gets a technical, or we want to give this guy a technical for this. Like, absolutely, I agree with that, because there's so much that the referees do not pay attention to, because they have to pay attention to so much during the game anyway. There's so much that they can't pay attention to. There's so much that they are not able to focus on because there's other things that are more important for them to focus on. But this becomes very important. It's not action. It's not fast, hard movements. It's not a big collision. It's not anything like that. What it is is a continuous, small, subtle bump, a nudge, an elbow, you know, just constantly getting up in your face and, and, and all that. Like, guys, that cannot happen. Like, look, when Kevin Garnett would do something in games to intimidate people, he would trash talk. He would trash talk. He would, you know, talk to you after he made a big play. You know, he would push you down after you made a bad play. Nothing wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with that. That's getting in someone's head, and, and that's playing the game, you know, mentally. I get it. But when you're mixing that with physicality, when you're when you're mixing that with someone continuously bumping you and hitting you and and doing something after the whistle over and over, and then they do it again and someone retaliates basically by saying like, "Stop that!" Like seriously, how why are you able to continue having contact with me after the whistle and nothing gets called? Like that's not okay. It's not. And at some point, people up above need to be able to look down and say, hey, no, Patrick Beverly started this. He instigated this. Because that's what's going to clean up the game, guys. Everybody talks about, oh, they need to clean up this game because it's starting to get out of hand. Look, the way you clean it up is by stopping the person who instigates, stopping the instigators, stopping the guys who make physical contact that doesn't need to be there, who don't follow the proper etiquette after a whistle was blown. That's the stuff that needs to be taken care of. And and it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't get taken care of, guys. Realistically, if you're the instigator and you're the person that starts all the all the trouble, you're going to be rewarded because the other guy's going to get the technical. 
it's all it, that's how it goes and it's, it's really really sad so um at least that's what happened against the suns so um i hope that that can get fixed you know but man i just i just think he's a dirty player um you know he he definitely gets away with a lot of those extracurricular things no one notices that he's doing these things it, it's not right it's not right um, for a guy to be able to continuously bump into you, nudge you, elbow you, you know, whatever it is. It's not right that he can continuously do that and not get called for it. But as soon as you want to, to make him stop, because that's extracurricular, that's extracurricular activity after the play is over, you, you're trying to make him stop because that should be stopped anyway. That shouldn't be happening anyway. You're trying to make him stop, and then you get whistled for it. That's not okay, guys. It's really not. So I'm I'm very, very upset, very frustrated with Patrick Beverly. I, I I just did not agree with a lot of the ways that he he played defense the other night. I mean, I think from a defensive standpoint, yes, he can get all up in someone. He he can he can harass them. He can do whatever he wants to do. But as soon as the play is over you've got to make him stop because he is getting away with all of these things that if it was another player, if it was a star player that you have to watch, that these players watch for, they're going to get called for that. Look, look, if it, if it was Paul George, Paul George would get called for that. If it was Devin Booker, he would get called for that. If it was the stars that the referees are trying to pay more attention to, they're going to get called for those things. But no, he instigates, someone else reacts, he needs to be the one to get in a technical for this. At least do a double, but that's not even happening. They're giving the technicals to the guys who are reacting and not giving it to the instigator at all. And I, I just I don't like to see that. You want to clean the game up? You want to make it about the basketball? That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Okay? So, anyway, moving past Patrick Beverly, we'll probably continue to talk about this, but guys, next game watch that pay attention to what he does after the whistles pay attention and watch what he does after the whistles blown um every player that he's around whoever he's guarding man he is he's not he's not playing nice and he's he's really he's really doing things that shouldn't sh like you shouldn't be able to continue harassing people outside of the clock running the way that he does so pay attention, see what I'm talking about, and see. let me know if you guys have an issue with it as well. But, all right, it's a defensive showdown amongst teams. And I'll tell you guys that. Like right now in the playoffs, look at these two series. It is a defensive showdown. And if you look at what happened amongst most of the games, you know, on the games Friday and Saturday, it was all about defense. Who can play defense and who can't? You know, the Suns Clippers, man, they both, both teams, like everybody talks about, oh, they had such a huge drought in the fourth quarter and nobody could score. It wasn't because nobody could score. It was because they were playing good defense. Both teams played great, solid defense. And that's something we don't really see a lot. I'm super excited to see that because they both played great, hard effort, hard efforted defense. And that's what you want to see. Right? That's really what you want to see in a playoffs. Like hard defense, two defensive teams going at it. Like, hey, sure, let's go out and put up 120 points. No, no, no. We don't need to score 120 points because we're going to shut you down and keep you under 100. 
we're going to keep you under 90. How about that? Like, that's great. I was super excited to see a great defensive battle, and that's what happened. I don't think it was so much like, oh, guys couldn't hit shots, things like that. I don't think it was really that much of like a drought type of situation. I really think that it was, you know, teams were just playing really hard, solid defense in the fourth quarter. I think that's why you saw the disparity in the shots there. So, um, really excited about that. And then in the Milwaukee game, I mean, yeah, they were playing great defense up against Atlanta. And Atlanta is the only team, when you think about it, that has major holes on defense. They're the only team that has major holes on defense. And, um, you know, up against Milwaukee, it may not be hurting them as much. But, man, if they were playing up against the Suns right now, shoot. Man, the Hawks would be would would be really really hurting, because the Suns can flip it around and play defense on the opposite end. The Hawks couldn't couldn't really do that. Okay, they've got they've got a good big defender in Clint Capella. They've got you know Trey Young who will play some some solid defense every now and then. You know Danilo Gallinari doesn't really have a great defensive prowess anymore. Um, yeah, they, I mean they've got a few guys, but you know you look at Bogey. Bogey's going to get beat um, off the dribble by most guys. Um, Herter's going to be a liability on defense from what I've seen. He has not impressed me with his defense. Um, you know, Collins, Collins, it depends on the matchup. He he can he has matchups where he can get roasted, but he has some matchups he plays really well also. So just interesting to see how, how they're going to play it, but I think everybody else is a little more versatile on the defensive end. So... Um, I think defense really has been the big thing that's shown through at least Friday and Saturday's games. And we'll see how this continues to go with the Bucks tonight. But the Hawks are the only team, I think, that really has big hole on defense in a certain area, and that is um, the guard uh, slash small forward type situation. Okay, guys, so here's, here's the big thing that I want to talk about, the last big topic we want to talk about. And this is rules in the game okay and how games are officiated how things are called um and the new review rules okay so so under two minutes you know referees can go and they can review games you know they can review um you know various calls to make sure they get the call right okay which i have no problem with i i think that's wonderful i think it's wonderful make sure you get the call right i completely agree with that However, what has happened is that because we can look at these things so closely and in such a slow motion time frame and, and all that stuff, we can really break down these plays and calls as it happens. What I'm noticing and what I think other fans are noticing as well is there's a lot of flaws in the way that NBA officials have to officiate and the way the rules are laid out. Because if you look at it, there's two things I want to talk about here. Two instances. Well, multiple instances on one of them. But one situation. One situation. Is that. The, is the call of. What. What. Like. When a ball goes out of bounds. What is the call for a ball going out of bounds? Is it the last guy who touched the ball? Or is it who who caused the ball to go out of bounds? Okay, and this is something Jeff Van Gundy talked about. Um, this happened, I think it was a Knicks game. No, maybe it was a Sixers game with the Hawks. 
I, I can't remember, but there was another game in the postseason here where this same exact situation happened, and then it happened again um, last night uh, with the Suns, where uh, Cam Cameron Payne was uh, dribbling down the court. Uh, I believe it was Beverly. I believe it was Beverly. Uh, may have been someone else, but they knocked the ball um, away from him, and it went out of bounds. Now, the ball, when it was knocked away from him, the ball was under control by Payne until it was hit by the defender, that's what caused him to lose control, lose control. But because it was in his possession, it was still last touched by him. He was the last one to actually have physical touch on the ball. But, but, and this is a big but, the reason the ball went out of bounds was the defender. And so Jeff Van Gundy talked about this. He talked about this the other night in a series um, where he said, guys, this it's going to be interesting how they call this because the offensive player is going to be the last person to touch the ball in a lot of those situations. A lot of those, you know, turnovers where a defender just taps the ball, gets a hand on the ball real quick while he's dribbling it, the offensive player is always going to be the last one to touch the ball in that situation. However, the reason, and Jeff Van Gundy said this, the reason for the call, the reason the call is there and the purpose of it is is to give the ball back to the team that didn't cause it to go out. And he said that. He said, you know, the purpose of this call is, you know, who is the who is the one who knocked the ball out of bounds? Who's the reason the ball is going out of bounds? That's the purpose. And he said that. And I agree with him. I 100% agree with him. The purpose of out of bounds calls and things like that in this situation is not because of exactly who touched the ball last it's because hey this ball went out of bounds because this guy knocked it out like it would not have went out of bounds if it wasn't for him so i, I it would be good for them to clear that up um you know maybe they change the rule to you know hey it's the last person that touches it and that's exactly what the call is um moving forward Fine. Okay, I'll get I'll get accustomed to that, and that's fine. But right now, the main reason for that call happening, um, you know, and uh, is because of who caused the ball to go out of bounds, and that that a lot of times is is not going to be the last person to touch the ball. So they just need to clarify that up. Let people know. I think it's a much better call. Uh, for the guy who touches it out of bounds, you know, it's 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 very similar to me. If a guy who blocks a shot and he hits it out of bounds, like you know, you give it back to the offense because it, you know, he if he's going to block it, he needs to try and keep it in bounds so that they can get possession back. You know, I I, I agree with that. I think that would be a fine play. Um, so so that's the thing that I would I would try and do. I would try and say, you know, hey, uh, and this is what I would argue the NBA referees all day is like, look, in those situations. It is who caused the ball to go out of bounds. It's not who touched the ball last. Okay. Yes, on a rebound situation when both guys are going for the ball, I get that. Okay. In a situation where a guy is dribbling the ball and someone pokes it away and it goes out of bounds, the guy who poked it away should be the one that the ball's out on. At least that's my opinion. But if they change the rule, fine, I'll live with that, and, and that's fine. But so far, there's not been a lot of clarity on it because even Jeff Van Gundy was like, the purpose of the rule is this, but if they're going to follow the exact rule, then this is the ruling. So really, nobody knew what way it was supposed to go. Like, 
You know, even Jeff Van Gundy didn't know how it was supposed to go. And so that's concerning. That's concerning when you've got, you know, a former coach um, and, uh, you know, an analyst, uh, a commenter um, or a commentator of the game who doesn't know how it's going to go. And that's that's concerning for sure. So they need to clear that up. They need to come out and talk about that. The second rule that was made apparent to me that we that needs to get figured out is an offensive call is offensive foul, a charge against Devin Booker. Okay, now Devin Booker was driving down the lane. This was later in the game. Um, he had five fouls. He drove down the lane and took a floater, right? He shot a floater up over the defense, and a guy took a charge. Now, the challenge that I have with this is the fact that when he started to go up to take this shot, he was fouled. The guy reached in under him, slapped upward into his chest, and fouled him. Okay? So he was fouled. Then, after that foul occurred, as he's coming down, he lands into the player who takes the charge. Now, they went and reviewed this play, and they ruled that it was a charge. But... My issue and and what I want to know and understand from the referees is why is it that the second foul that happened is the one that was called? Because typically if it's a bang-bang play like that or whatever, whatever first action happens is the one that is called. That, however, did not happen in the situation. So I want clarity. I would love some clarity. Um, on this, and and I think they need to review it. And they need to talk about it and figure out what they want to do. Is if in that situation, if a guy is fouled before the charge happens, I would think that the defense has a foul on them. I would think that that's the right call because that was the first foul that occurred, not the charge. So. If you guys haven't seen that play, go back and look at it. Um, take a look. Uh, you probably go to YouTube or you know whatever. Just find a way to to go back and look at that play. But you know Devin Booker charge fouls out of game or whatever. Like go back and look at that and review it. And it's clear to me that he gets fouled before. <laughs> it's clear to me that he gets fouled before the charge happens. And, and that is why I was frustrated to see him exit that game because he he may have adjusted differently. He may have taken a different shot if he wasn't going to get fouled on that play. But he could feel the contact and knew he was getting fouled. And he, that's probably why he shot the ball the way he did and didn't stop. And that's why he ran the defender. So those are things that I'm just trying to think about and, and you know trying to figure out what's going on here. So um, go back, watch that play. Let me know what you guys think. Um, I would love to hear you know, your thoughts, comments on it. Um, but again, I think that it should have been a situation where, you know, Devin Booker had a foul against, you know, called against him. So he would not have fouled out of the game in that situation because the foul that occurred first was a, someone fouling him. So anyway, we'll see what happens. Maybe they make some adjustments and talk about that. I I don't think anyone's came out and talked about on ESPN or anything like that today. I would love to get some clarification on it though. Because it's definitely one of those where people were kind of scratching their heads like, 
wait a minute, what's supposed to happen here? Okay, and that's happened three or four times now with calls during these playoffs because the way we can review things is like there's so many times where you don't know what's supposed to happen. People that know the the refereeing, they know officiating, don't know what's supposed to happen in a certain situation, and that's just confusing for everybody, and that shouldn't end up having to happen. So um, anyway, we will go ahead and uh, get some of this wrapped up, give you guys a last update on where we are right now. It is just over seven minutes left in the third quarter. Um, Chris Middleton just hit a floater. Uh, it went to the halftime, tied. Um so Milwaukee had uh, battled back to tie the game up, and then now it is a five-point game. Atlanta is up, um, up by five, uh, with just under six minutes to, or just under seven minutes to go in the third quarter. Um, Trey Young just took another bad shot and missed it. So um, we will see what happens. I, I really think you know, from the the tempo of the game, the way it's been going, I think again Milwaukee's going to continue to battle, make adjustments, and fight back. Um, and what you're seeing in this game literally is, you know, hey, if if Trey Young's making shots, Trey Young's making shots, and and they're gonna end up, you know, being able to put points on the board and and play really well. But when he misses and he makes takes a bunch of bad shots for a stretch, which is gonna happen, the more shots you take, the more you're gonna miss as well. And if he gets stretches where he's missing shots, Milwaukee's gonna come back in this game. I think they'll take advantage of that and be more consistent throughout the game. So again, they are down five points right now, but. I think that uh, Milwaukee will end up winning this game and taking control back over in the series. Uh, but only time will tell. Maybe Trey Young gets hot, um, and if he does, hey, I definitely think they'll end up winning this game. If he gets hot, you know, puts up another, you know, 15, 20 points in the rest of the game, sure, that they'll probably end up taking this one. Um, but if he doesn't put that up, if he puts up 12, if he puts up, you know, uh, 10, 12, 14 points, that might not be enough because that's going to mean he's missing a lot of shots as well, and that's a lot of possessions this team doesn't get. So uh, let's see how it goes. Um, again, I've taken up quite a bit of you guys' time. I've run a little long today, so sorry about that. Just a lot of stuff to really talk about. And, uh, yeah, you guys will hear from us again uh, on Wednesday. So with that being said, from Aurora and I, thank you, and uh, have a great day.